Welcome to The Derivative by RCM Alternatives, where we dive into what makes alternative investments go, analyze the strategies of unique hedge fund managers, and chat with interesting guests from across the investment world. Greetings, humans. Yes, we're bypassing the normal Star Wars hello there, because our guests today are Trekkies. And not just casual fans, they actually spoke on the similarities between sci-fi and investing at a Star Trek convention once. That's a new one. It's Brad Berry and David Johnson of Dynamic Alpha Solutions, who run an outsourced CIO business and started a mutual fund that's a bit of a twist on the latest trend of marrying traditional stock exposure with a non-correlated alternative investment. We've seen that done with long volatility. We've seen it done with managed futures and trend following. But Dynamic Alpha is pairing discretionary global macro with their stock side. How does that work? Can it still provide the crisis period performance? What can discretionary managers do that systematic can't? We dig into it all, concluding with some of those Star Trek and investing corollaries, such as when you should put shields up in your portfolio. Engage. This episode is brought to you by RCM's Clearing and Execution Group, which helps mutual funds like the one Dynamic Alpha runs efficiently access and trade exchange-traded futures and derivatives markets. Visit rcmalts.com to learn more. And now, back to the show. All right, everyone, we got Brad Barry here and David Johnson. Um, Brad, you got a lot of letters after your name there. What are what are all those letters for? Certified financial planner? Yep, certified financial planner, chartered financial consultant. I was a, a financial advisor for about 20 years, uh, working with some wonderful people in the Chicagoland area. So, uh, And then you left of- Chicago, right? Where You went to Vegas? Yeah, yeah, I left Chicago, uh, kind of transitioned my practice to my partners, and uh, I moved to Vegas for peace and tranquility, um, which really? is not where no- normal people go <laughs> for peace and tranquility, but uh, uh, where I'm at, beautiful mountain views and sunset behind the mountains, and uh, uh, it's uh, better weather uh, than Chicago yeah. most of the time. And if you're living there, like draw parallels with Chicago for me, so you're in like Evanston of Las Vegas, or... What's your yeah. Chicago equivalent? Yeah, funny because I I used to live in Evanston um, when go. I was in uh, Chicago yeah. and uh, lived in a few other areas there. But uh, yep, so I'm in Henderson, Nevada, which is just south oh, yeah. of uh, south of Las Vegas. It's definitely considered a suburb um, with uh, again wonderful people. Uh, it's a wonderful place to live, and uh, uh, all the how often people. are you like down on the strip seeing a show or doing stuff like that? Uh, not very often. Uh, yeah. it's, you know, it's, uh, which it's funny as a, as a money manager, uh, you know, sometimes I'd have clients, uh, back in Chicago and I would visit Vegas and they're like, oh, you're visiting Vegas, huh? Are you taking my money with you or, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, uh, and those that know me know I'm not a gambler. I don't drink, I don't smoke. I'm kind of boring. Um, but, uh, um, but it's nice because it's there when you want to get to it, if you want to get to it with, uh, with ease. I uh, will put it in the show notes, but I wrote a blog post once. Uh, Michael Geismer, I think is his name. Uh, anyway, this hedge fund manager guy, he won like 240 grand playing blackjack during salt, I think. And so someone got a hold of it and wrote this article of like, this guy's risking all this money, blah, blah, blah. And I just, the blog post did some quick math of like, he's making, call it 1% on 1.8 billion. And even if he gets X percent of that, like, he was risking a even if he was risking a thousand dollars per bet, it was basically like the rest of us risking five dollars a bet. So let the man have some fun. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and David, where are you at? I'm in the Tampa Bay area. All right. 
right? So. Across Route 70, 50? It's been too long. 70, what gets me over to Bureau? 75. Straight across. Yeah. 70, no, the, the straight across the... Uh, Clearwater, you yeah, know, yeah. I-4 goes to Orlando. Yeah, I'm saying I want to go right from Tampa over to Vero. There's like that little uh, state route 70, I think it is. Yeah. 60 it's, maybe. It's, you know, it's, that's Highway 60. Yes. 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 All it's right. It's like a road you want to avoid at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Let's get into a little uh, what you guys are doing, what the firm is doing, and then I want to get into uh, some sci-fi. So absolutely. For, yeah, yeah. First tell us tell us about the firm, how you guys the background and how you founded it. You yeah. Gave so, us a little teaser of leaving the uh advisor space. Yeah. So our firm is Dynamic Wealth Group. Um we run two main businesses. Uh we run Dynamic Alpha Solutions, which is a outsourced chief investment officer business where we support financial advisors, helping them build truly diversified portfolios. Um, and, and helping them, you know, provide solutions to their end client. And, uh, we also run dynamic alpha funds, um, where we manage a mutual fund, uh, the dynamic alpha macro fund, the ticker symbol is Dymix, D-Y-M-I-X. Um, it's an interesting background on where we got to where we are. Um, being in Vegas, one of the nice things is I do go to a lot of conferences and conventions, so I'll go to the strip not to gamble, but to go to investment conferences. Again, I mentioned I'm kind of a boring person, um, <laughs> but I'd rather go to an investment conference than, than, than go to the, the casinos to gamble. And I met David at uh, an AAII conference about six years ago, the American Association of Individual Investors, and uh, met David there and uh, befriended him. And uh, David uh, was representing a number of alternative uh, investments. And uh, I invested with him, befriended him, and uh, again, we'll, we'll dovetail into this, this science fiction conversation in a little bit, but we learned that we're both avid uh, Star Trek fans and uh, um, it kind of a through, you know, through the relationship developed. And at the time, I was consulting financial advisors kind of as an OCIO and an overall practice consultant, and I had invested in one of the hedge funds David uh, represented and David kind of mentioned to me like, hey, you think, you think other financial advisors would be interested in this strategy? And I'm like, I think so. I was in, I was interested in it. I've invested in it. It's unique. It's differentiated. Let's talk to some financial advisors. And we presented at some conferences and got amazing feedback. Financial advisors were like, we love this. We love this strategy. It's non-correlated. It, 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 it performs extremely well. Uh, what's the ticker? And and that was the issue because it was, you know, it was a private placement, accredited status, two and 20 fee structure, you know, the end and financial advisors like more turnkey, easy to implement solutions and products. So, um, so through connections and research, we, uh, we worked on launching a mutual fund. Um, and, uh, it's a, you know, we'll dive into the mutual fund as the conversation goes, but it's a, a innovative solution that combines a global macro fundamental approach with, um, with equities. So, um, yeah, and I think as the conversation goes, we'll dive a little bit deeper into that on how and why we did, did you know, did it and it's managed. But, uh, 
Yeah, that's kind of a. We'll now fact check you of with David's recollection of the events. Is that how it went down, David? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And I and what were you doing at the uh, AAAI? What is it? AAAI? Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, I spoke there, and this was back in like 2018. This is before COVID. Yeah. And Some so, of those give me like uh, the lot of lot of tire kickers, a lot of right. Do you feel that, or you felt it's worthwhile for like a money manager or an advisor? It was for me because uh, at that time, you know, my main business was I was actually an ID. Yeah, yeah. And so I represented a lot of CTAs. Yeah, and I I basically went there to educate people on you know how managed futures works how it can differentiate your portfolio because it's uncorrelated by the stock market, you know, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And they weren't getting any of that. They were just getting this stock guy, that stock guy, this stock guy, Yeah, you know? And so, you know, I had, I saw, you know, I did that for probably, you know, seven or eight years, at least, you know, in the mainstay, uh, met a lot of people and educated a lot of people. So it was it was fun. I got to know a lot of CTAs, got to know how they did what they did. I used to design trading systems back years ago when I was working in FX, you know, mm-hmm. after I left aerospace. But uh, uh, this was a little different. And, and give us that uh, little left aerospace. What were, you, what were you doing in aerospace? Well, my first career was at NASA and I was there for a short time. Um, the NASA. Yeah. NASA. Yeah, Marshall Space Flight Center in Huntsville, Mm -hmm. Alabama. Yeah, it's where they built the Apollo rocket. Right. Is that where they send the kids now to space camp and all that? Yep, exactly. Awesome. Yeah, it's where they always had space space camp. Uh, Oh, and what was your, were you designing rockets, designing flight plans? What were you doing? I was a a space shuttle engineer. I was working on the shuttle, on some subsystems in the shuttle. And that was, you know, I was a junior engineer then. I was, you know, very green. But I figured out very, very quickly that NASA didn't really design things anymore. Like after Apollo, it's also it's our contractors, you know, yeah. you know, uh, space and defense contractors, the Lockheeds, the Northrop Grumman's, you know, they they do they do all the fun work. Yeah. And so, that scare you a little bit. Like if there's right, how many subcontractors are putting all their stuff into this one? hundreds thousands right that scares me of like how do they all know those systems are going to work together yes single point failures yeah it's one of our favorite subjects i I was actually so i became a systems engineer i went to work for honeywell space systems here in clearwater Hmm. and i worked there for about 22 years and uh had a wonderful career there it was a lot of fun worked at uh worked at jasa space center for five years and on space station program Nice. And uh, talk about a complicated project, the most complicated thing ever put in space. Right. And now so they're was, talking about they might scrap it, right? I know. <laughs> and, and they don't have anything to take its place, like the shuttle. They scrapped the shuttle, didn't have anything to take its place. This is our government at work. Yeah, that's a, that's a separate podcast. Yeah. Um, so the so, and said, yeah, hey, so I basically put- left that and I got into, you know, just basically took early retirement you know i wanted to do something different and got into you know got into uh basically the only thing crazier markets. in space futures right yeah exactly 
Uh, and then it was well, a natural options, fit of maybe, maybe yeah. options are. <laughs> so Brad, you're saying, Hey, I know this stock side, this and David, I know this alternative side, let's marry them together. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's definitely the linkage. One of the things that David said that, that resonates with me is the education component. David loved educating folks on the alternatives and what they are and how they use. And as a financial advisor, I always viewed part of my role as to help educate investors and my clients on different financial planning aspects. So, you know, there's there's definitely a lot of the similar thinking. David actually tells a story about when he was at NASA. Um, I love this story because it talks about defining the right problem. And uh, um, David, I'll paraphrase it, but 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 feel free to jump in. Um, but when you think back to was it was it the Apollo program um, when they were originally trying to send astronauts up to space? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, so basically one of the lessons I learned from my emeritus engineer who was mentoring me when I first got there was the whole idea is that, you know, the first 50% of solving a problem is properly defining the problem up front. Yeah. And most people skip that part. <laughs> so they wind up with a solution to some problem, just not the one they're trying to solve. And that's, basically what happened the reason you told me that story is that that's what happened with the space program early on they tried to figure out a way to get this capsule and the person in the capsule back down to earth without burning the capsule up so they tried to create an indestructible material there is no indestructible material right so let's let's figure it the other way isn't it i think einstein yeah. has a if you give me an hour to figure out a problem i'll spend <laughs> if you give me an hour for a problem of 55 minutes figuring out the problem in five minutes on the solution. Yeah. Exactly. So finally, an engineer one day said, hey, guess what? We're solving the wrong problem. The problem is to get the astronaut back alive, yeah. not to create an indestructible Perfect. capsule. Yeah. So they came with, with the ablative heat shield. So, right. you, you know, you're it's going to get uncomfortable in there, but... Yeah, it's going to get uncomfortable, but it's going to get you down. You know, it's going to last just long enough. <laughs> I love it. So that's, a, that's a great example. Um, and taking a step back, Brad, on the OCIO side, do you see that as, are more RA shifting to that or more RA separating, but like, hey, I'm a your golf buddy. I'll take you out to golf. I know how to get relationships. And then it seems so old fashioned that we thought that the same person could be the person head down solving complex financial metrics and figuring out the right portfolio it's the same guy who wants to go have beers and golf and do all this. And I'm sure they're out there, right? They exist, but it seems like we're moving towards a point in the advisor industry where those two are become decidedly separate. Yeah. I mean, again, having been an advisor myself for 20 years, advisors are pulled in many, many different directions. And, you know, whether it's understanding whether a client should do a Roth IRA conversion or not, or should they retire at 65 or 67? What about Medicare? What about estate planning? What about their insurance needs? What about cash flow management, debt management, generational? I mean, there's so much that a really good financial advisor should be doing and is doing that they don't have the time to do what we do. Of, of I, I like to say we continuously scour the investment universe looking for new and better investment ideas. Again, that's how I found David, going to a conference and, and uncovering new investment ideas. We still do that to this day. So financial advisors that really want to build differentiated portfolios 
Um, Because look, if you're just going to do a standard 60-40 stock bond portfolio, you know, you you don't need an OCIO. You don't need, you know, I dare say even a a money manager. You know, you buy two or three ETFs or index funds and you call it a day. But if you do that, you're not diversified uh, and and you're going to take more risk than you think you are and you'll have a bumpier ride than than you should. Um, and at the end of the day, that's that's the problem. Again, talk about defining the problem. That's the problem we think advisors should be solving for their clients on an investment standpoint. How do you build a smoother investment experience? And that's what we specialize in is building a smoother investment experience uh, through model portfolios that allow the advisor to grow to scale, that allows the advisor to spend more time with their clients, be it in marketing, be it in research, be it in planning, knowing their clients, um, what, what, whatever. Um, we, we help the advisor do an even better job and be kind of that, that financial planning hero for their clients. And what, what do you mean by smoother? I think I know what you mean, but define what you mean by smoother. Yeah. So smoother to us is, is, you know, less downside volatility. Right. And, and that's one of our mantras too, is, is having been in this industry, as long as I have, you know, it has always presented to me that standard deviation is risk mm-hmm. and standard deviation is not risk. And my, my degree is in mathematics and economics. And if, if, if you look at what standard deviation is, it's the deviation on the up and on the down. Right. And, and in 20 years of sitting across the table from individual clients, I never once met a client that didn't want deviation on the upside, right? People want deviation on the upside. They just don't want it on the downside. So we, we try to build portfolios that, that minimize that downside experience, right? While still having the necessary returns investors need to, to meet their goals. Um, I'm hundred percent on your side, but I'd argue briefly on the other side, it's an easy way to say, hey, what tends to have the most downside deviation? Stuff with a lot of upside deviation, right? So it's kind of a lazy way to get there, but that's that's the support of standard deviation as the metric. Sometimes, right? sometimes, but-, but yeah. you know, Excluding managed futures, right? Which is which, lumpy which gets, and boom. Yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. look, in a, in a perfect theoretical world, it is a bell-shaped <laughs> curve, right? You think a perfect bell-shaped curve, that, you know, it's, it's 50, 50 on both bell shaped curves, but we don't live in a perfect world. Last time I checked. Um, so there is skewness to a bell shaped curve and you can have greater gain deviation and lower loss deviation, um, with different asset classes and different strategies. And that's one of the ways that we do it is, and as simple as this sounds, we diversify, but when we diversify, we're not just diversifying with with asset classes, right? That's the way it's always been done. You have your stocks, you have your bonds, you have your alternatives. We we diversify with different asset classes, but also with different approaches and with different strategies, right? So, you know, sometimes we're asked, what's better, quant or fundamental or technical analysis? You know, should you buy and hold? Should you be tactical? Our answer is yes, all of the above. Yeah. It's, because that is diversification, right? We diversify by having tactical managers that maybe use technical analysis and having managers that use fundamentals or quant or algo, right? And the the the, the diversification is, we actually call our portfolios and our OCIO model multidimensional 
um, portfolios, which again is maybe a, a testament to the science fiction that we'll talk about. But yeah. um, we believe in multidimensional diversification. Um, it's funny, we had this conversation with an advisor just this last week about um, non-correlation is not just binary. It's not just the correlation to stocks that should be measured. It's the correlation to everything in the portfolio. So it's not, oh, I have an alternative I used and it's non-correlated to stocks. And that, that's good. But what about another alternative? You can have multiple alternatives, investments, and they can be non-correlated to stocks, but also non-correlated to each other, right? So it's that multifaceted, multidimensional, you know, uh, portfolios that we build in the OCIO that truly help an advisor differentiate their practice as well um, so that they can help to get new clients um, and most importantly, help them meet their goals. And just as you mentioned, the 60-40 in bonds in a portfolio, what are your thoughts of, right? We had this unbelievable 30-year run rates from whatever, eight to zero or 19 to zero, whatever you want to quote. Mm -hmm. Surely, who knows, but surely that's not going to look the same over the next 30 years, right? So does that break 60-40? Does that just make it, the path look different? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And, and you know, we've written about 60-40. Is 60-40 dead? Is it, is it not dead? Look, in our model portfolios, our OCIO portfolios, we have a sleeve that is in essence 60-40, right? That is in essence, maybe it's 80-20, 20-80, that is beta-weighted stocks, beta-weighted bonds. But that's just a sleeve of the portfolio, right? It's certainly not not everything. Are bonds going to look the way they did over the last 30 years? Absolutely not. I mean, you, you stated the reason yourself. Um, but we're also believers in not trying to predict the future. Um, look, the, the market is predicting, what, six or seven rate cuts this year. I, I don't think the Fed is predicting that, right? Yeah. And the yeah. Feds are the one that are going to do it. So, And I think the bond market may have priced a lot of that in already. You know, if you look at bonds last year, last year, somebody would look at the full year of bond performance and said, oh, last year was a good year for bonds. I would look at last year's return experience and last year was not a good return experience for bonds. You look at it month to month, day to day, bonds volatility. I think I forget what the metric is for bond volatility. Move but, index. Yeah. yeah, the move index. Very high. And uh, I have a chart that looks at what bonds did month to month. It went up 4%, down 4%, up 3 it's not the return experience bond investors want. If it wasn't for the last two months of the year, bonds went up 12% in the last two months of last year. If that hadn't happened, bonds would have had their third year in a row of negative returns. And you know, I, I asked folks, why did bonds go up 12% in two months? Did, did, did I miss the big Fed rate cut from Jerome Powell? Yeah. No, he didn't. But the market is forward looking. The market expects all these rate cuts. Well, guess what happens to bonds if we don't get those rate cuts? Right back then. Yeah. It's 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 going to be problematic. So we we implement again a lot of alternatives, a lot of bond alternatives into the models that we use, um, as well as equity like alternatives, futures, uh, you, you name it. Um so, and David, maybe for you or also like so all those alternatives, which may be uncorrelated with each other, uncorrelated with stock bonds, you found yourselves moving towards managed futures and global macro. Like, 
do you find those have the most unique return profile out of all the quote unquote alternatives? Yeah, especially when you get to uh, ones that are more fundamentally managed as opposed to, you know, trend following, following a system. Not that they're all the same, but they're all following a formula. And, you know, most of the time when there's a fundamental aspect to it, it's more, it's more waiting till you see dislocations in things that are going to create opportunities down the road and knowing how to look for the signs of those things to come about, you know, and example. Well, you, you, I, I think you should do the cocoa example, Brad. My you, favorite. Yeah. It's my favorite, know, example. favorite so, example. Yeah. Yeah. So, so last year um, there was a trade by, um, by our futures trading advisor uh, in his program where he went long cocoa. And he went long cocoa because of um, a bad weather pattern heading towards the Ivory Coast, um, bad fertilizer utilization by the local farmers, and the crop was already having issues. Mm-hmm. So those are easily understood, especially by investors, reasons that could drive the price of cocoa higher. And those reasons have nothing to do with with Tesla's deliveries this quarter, with the new uh, Apple goggles that are coming out, with Jerome Powell, what he's talking about this month, right? It's totally non-correlated with causation, right? That's one of the key things that that we look for in any investment is, is there a cause for the non-correlation? Otherwise, you just have happenstance, right? And if we can identify that there's a reason for the non-correlation, it's more likely that it'll continue to be non-correlated um, versus the happenstance. But yeah, the, the the mispricing in the cocoa is is an, is a great example, and um, it turned out to be a profitable uh, profitable trade. And um, those types of kind of demand supply imbalances are 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 what uh, what we look for. Uh, I'm going to pitch the blog again. There's another post from way back when in my blog days of the picture from space that proves commodities aren't correlated. And it was a freak snowstorm in Montana in like June or July, maybe June. And the, um, no, it was later in the year, maybe August, but the cows hadn't grown their winter coats yet. So it killed off like 60% of the cattle in the, Right. And, uh, and live cattle went limit up for like four or five days in a row. And, yeah. right? and that has nothing, like you're saying, nothing to do with how many cars Tesla produced, nothing to do with the Fed, with GDP, anything. There was a storm and a limited commodity supply that caused issue. And, uh, and the only way to gain exposure, the only way to gain exposure is through the direct commodity. Because sometimes we'll have somebody in our audience say, with our cocoa example, or you could use the cow example, the beef. Well, I'll just buy Hershey's. If, yeah. if cocoa prices are going up, I'll just buy Hershey's. And we would say, well, think they about actually it. actually have to buy that cocoa. <laughs> yeah, Hershey's sell Hershey. has to buy the cocoa from the farmers. I'm sure they're buying it through a few intermediaries first, but but they're the ones that have to buy it from the farmers. And you know, the cocoa prices going up actually hurts Hershey's and Nestle's um, uh, earnings. Not 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 help it. Same thing with with beef. You wouldn't want to buy. I don't know Purdue or whatever the 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 large you know beef you know uh, yeah. seller is, but you need the direct, and that's the beauty of futures is it's giving you that direct exposure 
that most investors do not have. Most advisors do not, you know, do not have that with their with their investors. And how do you solve the trick? Is there isn't this beef example and this cocoa example every month like clockwork, and those are relatively smaller markets. So how do you solve that problem of cool if this is uber successful and we have six trillion dollars trying to get access to these kind of things what what do we do well <laughs> <laughs> six trillion might be a little it, high let's is, go yeah, with uh, six trillion is a little much okay let's go with but, uh, 600 it, million it, it is opportunistic by nature okay because i mean there are always going to be trends happening but there aren't super big trends all the time you know and those wind up being super big trades that, you know, do great. So if you're approaching it from the fundamental side, a lot of times it, it gets into, you know, we'll just call it, you know, strong conviction ideas and concentrating positions. I mean, you still have to, you know, do risk management, but there's a difference between uh, having a strategy where you cut off the fat tail, you know, the right tail, and because you want to just normalize your returns, you know, but you your overall return suffers typically when you do that because you're cutting off that profit mm -hmm. and, and having the conviction to build the position because you think you have fundamental reasons to think it's I mean, it's not done yet. We'll watch it, but it's not done yet. Now it's going to be the second part, right? So a trend follower yeah. has those positions, probably made money, but they're risking so little of the portfolio on just that market or just that sector that it doesn't really move the needle all that much. You know, it's, it's kind of like going back to, uh, I mean, I heard this like years and years ago when I first started studying investing, like Warren Buffett, right? And they were saying like, you know, how should you diversify your portfolio? And he was like, well, if you have more than 20 stocks, I mean, that's probably too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's the way he thinks, you know, it's like you concentrate on ideas. I served him pretty well. And that's in the stock world, which is, you know, to some degree more difficult because there's so much noise. And so the idea is you're finding, sourcing these discretionary, I'd call them, you're calling them fundamental, somewhat similar. Um, mm -hmm. And now there's kind of a new thing. We've had a few guys on the podcast, Quantumental, right? They're <laughs> kind of systematizing those fundamental views so they can run through a bunch of them more quickly. Yeah, so yeah. finding a bunch of those and pairing them with traditional stuff. Um, as well as trend following in some cases, or would well, you call? And are you calling those uh, discretionary guys your global macro, so to speak? Yes, the 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 discretionary the the fundamental side is discretionary. The future side is discretionary. Yeah, and it's and it's uh, there's still all the risk management and everything in there. But the reason that I think that it's it's so additive to what we're doing is because it's it's different than what a lot of people do because the the process to get the ideas is different because it's all coming from up here. It's not an yeah. algorithm. You know, it's everybody's unique. I mean, there's there's a hundred trillion connections up here. Nobody's the same. And but, and I ask this with a lot of discretionary trades, like why doesn't Citadel or Millennium or whatever just right the they could analyze the same stuff, come to the same conclusions, right? Why, why don't they do what some of these discretionary guys are doing in hogs or cocoa or grain markets? Well, who's to say they're not doing that some yeah. of the time, you know? 
but yeah, I mean, you, you don't really know what they're doing, you know, but they're, they have so much money. They're doing everything that you could possibly do. They have to spread yeah. the money around because they'll affect the markets. Right. Or that's, I think the correct answer is it's not worth their time. Right. It's right? If it's time. a $300 million opportunity, like whatever we need, we have better uses for that in bond world or currencies or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's different by market too. I mean, you know, the, I mean, the, the metals market's not that big. The agriculture market's not that big. You know, the financial markets or the indices, they're a little bigger. The bond market, you know, the FX market, you know, they're a little bigger. But well, I think you touched on something important, Jeff, with, you know, this is one of the reasons we chose to launch a mutual fund, right? It's, it's I had a successful career as a financial advisor. I didn't wake up one day. I'm like, you know, let's, David, let's launch a mutual fund, right? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's you know, in, in creating portfolios. I always wanted for, to do that. Right. The same as saying, let's stab, stab a sharp stick in our eye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, but when we look at the marketplace for what's available in, you know, call it liquid alternatives or mutual funds or ETFs, there are some amazing products out there in the managed futures world, right? And we've, we've used some of them in our OCIO uh, solutions for advisors, and we still do, because it pairs extremely well with, with our own mutual fund. Um but there wasn't a single mutual fund that we identified or ETF that was what we call fundamental or you can call discretionary based on the future side. Um, uh, the majority of them were trend following, algorithmic. And again, they're, they're great funds and they provide non-correlation diversification. But again, we like building things with a causation for the diversification. And given that that our strategy implements a fundamental program where it's discretionary it, it that the correlation between our strategy and others is near zero um even though it's futures based um you know and and managed futures is many times synonymous with trend following and that's not what 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 our program does at all and um you know it, it helps to give that diversification is the trade-off there that you may not be there in like a classic 08 sell-off or a, a crisis period? Um, well, I think if you have a you know something that's happening that's obvious, you you know you're going to going to be in it. But yeah. if you start having a pullback, you might not get out. You might just you know, especially if you're playing with profits, you just you know because you're you know it's got further to go because you've done the research and supply and demand haven't evened out yet you know, right but so it's like sense. alpha well, i kind of consider it's like alpha-based diversification instead of structurally beta-based mm -hmm. right the trend followers are kind of saying hey yeah. we're not doing anything special here we're capturing every breakout one out of ten of them is going to be the breakout where it's an 08 sell-off and we're going to be there because we were in we were wrong the nine times before mm -hmm. it sounds like you're saying more like hey we're going for we might be wrong one out of the 10 times, but we're going to have high conviction on the other nine, six out of 10, probably not nine out of 10, but something along those lines, right? Of like kind of flip that logic of we're looking for greater chance of success and greater conviction on those trades. Yeah. More, more concentrated positions because the research has been done. And even if it doesn't pan out right away, as long as you hadn't hit your risk limits, you just wait it out. I mean, you know, if, if if an idea doesn't doesn't look like it's quite ready and it hits the risk limit, we might get stopped out in you know 
you know, two or three weeks. It starts happening, might get added to. It could go months. It could be in the position for months. It could get rolled several times. Yeah. So it really is global macro. When I hear global macro, I think back to, to broke the bank of England. What's his name? George, George Soros, Soros, right? Of like, okay, I'm taking this big massive bet on this currency. And most other historical global macro guys have been kind of global GDP bets or like country currency bets, country rate bets. Um, well, not necessarily, but I see what you're saying. I mean, that yeah. Was so, but, obviously. and then that was kind of more discretionary global macro and now systematic global macro has kind of morphed into more trend following. So just right. you're saying this is almost another piece over here of like discretionary, more commodity focused global macro. We've, we've actually used that example before that you gave. Okay. Yeah. The, you know, the Soros example, because it was just so he saw all, all the pieces coming together. So he made the bet and it worked right. out. Now, it's historical because it all happened like at one time. <laughs> yeah, it was, know, was like a cascade. It was. Yes. When it happens, it had a billion dollars in a day or something, you know, but. Uh, uh, but are you but, saying are they more commodity focused or no? So so some of yes. the. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's across the spectrum. We trade forty five different markets. So they'll be in rates. They'll be in stock indices. Everything. Be in, got it. Yes. Yes. And as a matter of fact, in the in twenty twenty, uh, we were uh, we were short palladium <laughs> of all things. Yeah. And and really had had to do with uh, it didn't have to do with COVID which was kind of strange. It had to do with, uh, they were pulling palladium out of catalytic converters. And so yeah. there was going to be an oversupply and, you know, and the, the prices, but the, the manager saw that, saw it was going to happen, you know, short of palladium. That was, that was a very good trade. Um, and that goes into one of the, I mentioned before about preparing versus predicting, right? It's like the, the manager didn't predict that there was going to be a global pandemic, right? You know, he wasn't having lunch with Fauci one day and all of a sudden, you know, it's like, oh, this is going yeah. to happen. You know, there was no inside insight there. It was, yeah. he, he was diversified beyond just stocks and bonds into palladium for reasons that were not related to global economic growth of, of equities or corporations. And he was just positioned a certain way in an asset class that moved in the right direction, you know, regardless of what was going on with with global pandemic issues right so it's it's the you know there's a saying i like to use that says it's the bus that you don't see that hits you right mm -hmm. so if everybody's talking about the bus and if everybody's talking about this this is going to happen this is going to happen seldom is that the bus that hits you it's the bus that's around the corner that you don't see right it's nobody yeah. saw a global pandemic nobody saw bad things that that happen and sometimes it's a good bus that comes and picks you up right and maybe it's the you know the iphone nobody saw the iphone coming until it launched right and that was a huge bus that carried a lot of people you know or or the tesla electric vehicle or whatever right um so it, it's being prepared and truly diversified regardless of of what happens is you know our mantra the uh sorry real quick the add-on to that would be the the bus that you don't see and the most people are unlikely to see it's the one that hits it's all of them yeah right. sorry david what were you gonna say 
Um, I don't know. I'll think of it. I killed it. Sorry. Yeah, it's all right. Um, oh, and oh, yeah. So yeah. So so uh, the, I think the other thing that's important is the the idea that the process of coming up with the ideas. You know, there's a process, but after that, it's it's pretty systematic in terms of position sizing and risk limits and you know all those kind of things that have to be done like everybody else has to do. It's where the ideas are being generated. But because that element is there, I think that if if unpredicted things come into the process, the manager has the ability to override the system, so to speak, because it's yeah. the system, okay, where that really doesn't exist in like system trading. Like there was an example when I was first starting to work with him and I was, you know, going through trades and I looked at a trade and I'm like, well, it's interesting. It's like short and like, like, and all of a sudden now he's reversed and he's long and then it's this huge trade. And so I asked him about it and I said, well, what happened here? And he said, well, we, we had this strong conviction on this, but there was a piece of information we didn't have. And when this piece of information came out, it literally flipped the narrative and the whole thing changed and we just reversed our position and you just have the flexibility to do that and conviction based on, you know, based on, yeah, those on, his, on new information. And on then Brad, talk, talk for a minute about the kind of traditional side of the mutual fund, right? So you're pairing, right? What my friends at mutiny fund would call the offense side with this defense side. That's not correlated. So talk to us a little bit about the offense side. Yeah. So, um, so, so we invest the equities primarily in uh, U.S. equities, um, all U.S. equities, for the most part, all a large company. Uh, we balance it between um, uh, growth. Uh, so we put about 50% of the mutual fund in equities, about 20% is in growth-oriented stocks, about 10% is in what you'd call core kind of S&P 500-like stocks, and then another 20% is in uh, more dividend-focused stocks um call it value but but we prefer more dividend focused than just pure value per se um uh, just as a way of making sure we're not buying cheap stocks that are cheap for a reason mm -hmm. they have strong strong dividends uh, we use etfs uh currently as kind of the primary vehicle to get exposure to the equities and uh we're active on on the etfs that we pick and rebalancing them and cognizant on on any tax loss harvesting that might be necessary um, but you know, it's really designed to get, you know, market weighted equity exposure. And because it's non-correlated with the global macro side, it, it really helps to, to balance the two together. Right. And sometimes we've been asked like, well, what's the secret sauce of the mutual fund? Is it the global macro manager or is it, what, what is it? And it, it's really defined in the name of the fund. The fund is called the dynamic alpha macro fund. And we view dynamic alpha as that rebalancing alpha, right? We're able to rebalance between the two sides dynamically at the right time when one gets out of whack versus another, which then in essence allows us that ability to, you know, sell high and buy low. And then things revert, you know, because of the non-correlation that helps to, um, you know, all our, all, our, all our analysis has shown that helps to keep returns stronger with minimizing the, the, the downside risk. So, and that, uh, that's a model you came up with the dynamic rebalancing, or is it done monthly, quarterly? Is it on a time schedule or a 
So we have thresholds, three thresholds, along with kind of some time frames of quarterly. Um, so it's bands. Um, if it gets outside of a band, reset. Correct. Correct. Um, correct. How do you feel? Have you done research on bands versus time based? We have. Yeah, we've we've done a lot of that analysis, and and you know, uh, we're all, we also try to be cognizant of the tax ramifications of over rebalancing can cost more, can generate more taxes. Um, yeah, yeah. Most investors invest in IRAs, but certainly not everybody does. Um, so, so we, we try to be cognizant of balancing all those other costs along with performance. And that's why we kind of settled on threshold based bands along with kind of a quarterly, um, timeframe as well. And we've, we've been blessed with positive flows into the mutual fund and that, that allows us to kind of rebalance as flows are coming in as well. Yeah. So we've been able to not have to uh, generate any tax gains on the equity side by rebalancing just from the positive flows that are that are coming into the mutual fund. So, and what, real quick, then we're going to get into sci-fi. What's the limit, in your opinion, of diversification? Right, if you're adding, like, would you go so far like we're having life settlements and we're doing cat bonds and we're doing right? Like, what's the practical limit of what you would consider? enough diversification well, and stuffing things in there well, in, the, uh, in the fund or well yeah i mean i know there's regulatory constraints on that so just pretend you have a vehicle that could do anything yeah, yeah i mean well, the alternative... that'll be our entree into sci-fi this yeah, sci-fi I mean, world you know... where any investment could be made in any investment vehicle yeah, I mean, because that's the thing is sometimes I like to return, refer to alternatives as the alternative to alternatives, because to a lot of investors or advisors, alternatives are real estate or gold or silver. And to us, alternatives means a lot, lot more. It means merger arbitrage, dividend capture, managed futures, global macro, buffered, you know, structured notes, you know, you you name it, right? Um yeah, life settlement and some of those other things very esoteric out there. Yeah, it's it's a matter of getting the right vehicle and and you know there's a there's a ton of those alternatives, uh, litigation financing and yep. you know things like that can really stretch the envelope of of uh, what's out there. And we love exploring it. You know, we have a long uh, watch list of things that we're always tracking, and uh, you know it's. Uh, you know, it's tough to fit things in a simplified portfolio, which is also one of our objectives. It's one of our taglines of simplifying complexity. Um, it doesn't matter if you have the best space shuttle to borrow from earlier in the conversation, if you can't get any people in it, if you can't fly it. Correct. Right. Correct. Uh, but, and you probably agree with me here, the, the deeper I go down into those quote unquote alternatives, there are more alternative strategies of right of they're just different flavors of stocks bonds credit and there are mostly all they need gdp growth and a great yes. economy they're cool yeah and they do a lot of cool things and they're non-correlated most of the time i think the problem is back to that concept of fundamental non-correlation like they they don't necessarily have that if things break credit dries up all this stuff they're likely going to break as well we like so, to ask the, we like to ask the question what's going to drive the return Right. What's yeah. the return driver? Right. So like with our cocoa example, there's three identifiable things that are going to drive that return. Right. And yeah, it's the key part is what is going to drive the return? Because one of the one of the very popular alternative investments these days is private equity. 
Yeah. And popular is an know, understatement, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and it's funny because when I talk to folks or meet folks about, you know, that talk about, oh, I'm in private equity. I'm like, oh, you're in equity. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and at the end of the day, private equity is equity. It, 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 it's right know, there in the name, folks. Yeah. It's right there in the name. And I think it's, it's Cliff Asnes, right? From AQR, he uses the term volatility laundering. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Look, we we think anything can can work and private equity can have its role, but you just don't want to fool yourself to thinking that it's going to be non-correlated. Um, if it's going to be driven by, you know, economic growth, it's like an equity because it is. Yeah. It's just private. Yeah, you just can't yeah. redeem this quickly. Right. Yeah. That, I mean, it used to trade at a discount because of the liquidity, and now it trades at a premium because of the <laughs> right. Oh, I don't have to see the real returns on a daily monthly basis i'll i'll pay wow. you extra for this yeah 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 you really? can get that with regular equities too you just don't open your statements or log on to oh, your wow. uh, investment account for for yeah. three months the old uh rip van winkle approach all right let's get into a little sci-fi so you guys bonded way back when in the first conversation you're like yeah. nasa yeah, i don't I don't you remember like when it, Trek? yeah, when it came up. I think we'd just befriending each other, and I mentioned to David that oh, I'm going to go to the Star Trek convention this weekend because the, the largest one is in Vegas every year. Yeah. Uh, even when I lived at in the Chicago. Hilton, used to be right. Or... Used to be at the Hilton. It's at the Rio now. Mm. Um, uh, it's run by uh, Creation Entertainment. I don't think it's actually called the Star Trek convention anymore. They had some trademark issues, so I think it's something called something else but in essence it's a convention full of star trek fans and all the actors come to it and uh, yeah. uh creation entertainment does an amazing job uh putting the the conference on and uh i mentioned to david i was going like on oh, david's like oh, i'm a star trek star trek fan and and uh and then i said well trekkie we can say right? yeah and then i said well why don't you come and i had a spare ticket and uh um and David came and he might be looking for if he you know, puts on like there. a Klingon forehead, I'm gonna not, lose not it. quite, but <laughs> oh yeah. Oh nice. Yeah, yeah good enemies, right? Yeah. Captain Kirk, <laughs> Shatner. That's should should be worth seven billion or so. He had all that <laughs> um Expedia stock, but he, he puked out of it in like oh nine, I think. He sold it all at a dollar. Yeah. yeah. David, tell him your story about about kind of William Shatner oh, yeah. and yeah, so uh, I, I kind of always wanted to meet him, but it just you know didn't have the opportunity, obviously. But he was my inspiration for getting into the space program. So mm -hmm. when I was ten years old, I, uh, I turned the TV on, and it was the just happened to be you know they didn't have reruns back then for the most part. It happened to be the first episode of Star Trek well, was on TV. And first yeah. one with the salt monster, you know, the whole nine yards. Yeah. And I was enthralled. You're 10 years old. It's like, what is this? <laughs> <laughs> so I was hooked. And right then I decided I'm going to be an astronaut. Wow. I want to be an astronaut. So after I got older, I realized, you know, the math is I got about a 0.02% chance of getting to be an astronaut. So I'm just going to work in the space program. So yeah. I'm going to be an engineer and work on spacecraft, meet astronauts. And I actually did wind up going to Johnson. I was there for five years and worked with astronauts designing the space station. I was in meetings with them all the time and just had a great time. But I, I always wanted to thank Shatner because he's the guy that set me on that path. Hmm. Or it never would have happened 
you know, just happenstance. Yeah. So I actually got to meet him and tell him that story. We got a photo op with him. And he of course, he up. said, oh, that's great. I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, like you probably did it 10,000 times that day. Yeah. And then you've got a little, like my poster behind me, of sci-fi, not just Star Trek, but sci-fi into investing what's what's your take there yeah so so uh we have a blog on our website too there's there's a few blogs uh, there's a blog we have on uh what star trek can teach you about investing mm-hmm. and uh, uh i love your infographic as well on uh, on the star wars i've sent that to a few folks um and, and i think it was a few years ago it was last year earlier last year the the, the promoters for for the convention here in vegas um, sent an email out to everyone who had a ticket and said, if anyone has an interesting topic they'd like to talk about, you know, shoot us an email. And I thought, I asked David, David, do you think, you, you know, this, the Star Trek fans would like to hear about investing? It's like, I mean, maybe everybody was- likes talking about investing. Everybody needs money, right? So we shot him an email and said, it's hey, not in Star Trek, topic? right? There's no need Star for Trek money. Star Trek doesn't use money, but, you know, the <laughs> yeah. Ferengis do with uh, yeah. their gold press the platinum. We brainstormed ideas, you know, of, you know, put shields around your portfolio. And <laughs> and, and that was, th- th- that was one of the keys on why we did it was because, you know, as a financial advisor, I know investing can be scary for investors and there's a lot of terminology. There's a lot of jargon, people on CNBC moving fast, using scary terms. And as a financial advisor, I always tried to speak plain, understandable English, because I wanted my investors, my clients to be comfortable. And if a confused investor is not a comfortable investor, right? So so we went there with the goal of let's talk in Star Trek language. Let's talk mm-hmm. in terminology that that everybody there can relate to. We should have done I've, that the whole pod next time. Yeah, yeah we should. <laughs> <laughs> but but one, one of the things I've always enjoyed going to these Star Trek conventions is there's people from all over the world go to these conventions from all different races, creeds, political beliefs, you name it. And everybody gets along because everybody looks at what do we all have in common? Our love for science fiction and Star Trek. Let's bond on that, put our differences aside and everybody gets along, right? Sort of Gene Roddenberry's idea in the first place, right? Of like, hey, in space, we're all equal and everyone's cool. I mean, mean, if if Klingons and humans can get along, why can't Democrats or Republicans? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) But, uh, and yeah, so we, it happened. You spoke at the convention. We spoke at the convention. We we stood on the stage and spoke at the convention. And, uh, you know, it was to individual investors, retail folks. Did you have folks, a costume on? We did not. <laughs> we did not have costumes on. And We did uh, have a few Klingons in the audience. There were right. some Klingons in the audience, actually, yes. which is probably a first for a financial. A plot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and give us some of the, what were some of the corollaries? Uh, I, I, shields around your portfolio to protect yourself, right? I mean, we we talked about uh, risk tolerance and understanding yourself. We did we did did a cute little quiz like like who who would be you know the biggest risk taker in, in from a character standpoint, right? Maybe it's Worf, maybe it's Captain Kirk, always out there taking risks. Who would be the most conservative? Who's the most nervous Nelly Star Trek character you can think of? And yeah. you know, it was it was Barkley. If you remember mm-hmm. Barkley from yeah. Next Generation, yeah, yeah. always nervous and scared, right? And it's like until he became super being. Yeah, yeah he came super being in one of those. <laughs> you know, but but you can have a portfolio for a risk taker like War for Captain Kirk, and that works yeah. great for them. 
But you put that portfolio for Barclay, who's a nervous Nelly, it's not going to work. So it's mm. understanding yourself, understanding your risk tolerance, and then building that portfolio to fit you, right? And I think we ended it with understanding um, that goals matter, right? And defining the problem. We shared David's story about, you know, it, that the capsule doesn't have to be indestructible. It just has to get people back alive. So are you defining your financial goals correctly? And your financial goal should not be to beat the S&P 500 every year, right? Your, your goal should be, as Spock famously said, to live long and prosper, mm. right? And th yeah, that's the yeah. goal is to, to retire, to send your kids to college, to exactly, right? Live long yeah. and, and, and prosper. That's what everybody, you know, aspires to do. And, you know, that, that again, lines up with your correct risk tolerance and, uh, so it was, it was a fun presentation. We got great feedback from folks. And, well, we'll uh, put the link to the uh, blog in the show notes. I've yeah. always wanted to, I would have loved to get in there and be like, hey, they failed. Every series has failed one risk management 101, right? They're not supposed to send the captain on away missions. He always goes on the away mission. Correct, correct. Uh, but they, and then in later ones, they would even quote it like, oh, sorry, captain, you can't, I'm going. Yeah. Hell with you. Yeah. It, took, yeah. it took Picard a while. Yeah, true. Part of now before he got off the ship. And then you could have worked also in like red shirt. Who the guy who's yes. going to die in your portfolio? <laughs> know know who the red shirt is. Awesome. Let's. I just want a few of your favorites while we're on the topic. Favorite series? Uh, Star Trek series Voyager for me. Voyager, really? Mm -hmm. I, I like the Next Generation. Yeah, that would be my choice too. Um, yeah. I thought you were going to go with the original since it inspired your early no, it, career. it did, it did, and it has a special. It's not even. It, it, it's not in with the other categories. Got it. It's a whole separate thing, and then there's oh, the series. Thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Favorite movie, tougher. Hmm. I'm going to go with Rathacon. Uh, Rathacon is a is a great one. Uh, yeah. I like I, the. Uh, it's the one with the whales. Um, yeah. Voyage. Voyage home. Yeah. And then yeah. the new ones are pretty good with Christopher Pine. Even yeah. Though, uh, J.J. Abrams ones are really good. Yes. I I really think that Ricardo Montalban should have won the Academy Award. I really, and I'm not saying that, but I mean, the only reason he didn't was because it was Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was throwing a hundred miles an hour. He was. Put it in sports parlance. Uh, and favorite character oh it's a tough one well captain kirk <laughs> captain kirk i think i'll go data and yeah. then do it yeah yeah i would agree with any of those i think the card you name it right. it depends on the mood right if you yeah true Felix to me is one of the most hilarious characters right and yeah you know but depends depends on your mood yeah the, uh, and then do you guys ever have i've been in meetings where i say data like data data i'm like sorry trek star trek fam <laughs> well it's, human yeah and it's it's it. david and i had a fun experience when we were launching the mutual fund and okay now we have to pick our ticker symbol so what should what should our ticker symbol be and can we work in a star trek terminology and <laughs> yeah, phasers on something phso you know, you know and i think we even looked at data or something and i think it was taken or or something like that but uh um yeah, it's it's yeah data data. You know, we all know. It is yeah. what it is. 
All right. Uh, we're taking up a lot of your time here. So any last thoughts for listeners? No, we appreciate you guys. We appreciate you allowing us to speak and appreciate everything you do to help communicate the message on diversification and alternatives. And we love your analogies too, with, with your blogs and the star Wars, star Wars analogy you have with the poster behind you. You know, there's some, some great ones there. Uh, you know, we have a blog, we have, uh, uh, we have monthly updates for our fund where we go through, um, details on what's working, what's not. So feel free to go to our website, dynamic WG as in dynamic wealth group, dynamicwg.com. And you can always email us at info at dynamicwg.com. And that maybe we'll put in the notes too. Uh, yeah. but, but yeah, we, we appreciate you. Ditto. Um, you going to the Super Bowl or any of the festivities? Or stand far away from that circus. Yeah, I'm I'm more of the one that stays far away from the circus. Um, you know, uh, God bless the people that come to to Vegas and spend their money and keeps my taxes low and uh, uh, keeps the economy and all the wonderful people here employed. So uh, that was when did the Bears were last in it? Oh five in Miami, and it started raining. It was like fifty, and it started raining sideways, and I was just mm -hmm. as coldest I've ever been. 50 degrees in Miami because you're soaking wet and you're I'm thinking through my mind then they started losing like yeah. it's going to be four hours until I'm able to drive myself out right like yeah. I have to get through the stadium got to get on a shuttle back to this parking lot back to the car all the way back to the hotel yeah, yeah. Um, wow. so yeah it's not all cracked up to be as soon as your team starts losing you're like what am I doing why did I spend all this money yeah, yeah. but I'm sure it'll be it'll be fun it'll be good yeah uh, Great. Well, thank you, guys. We'll talk soon. Uh, thank you, Jeff. And best of luck yeah. with everything. Really thank enjoyed you. it. Thank you. Okay, that's it for the show. Thanks to Brad. Thanks to David. Thanks to RCM for sponsoring. Thanks to Jeff Berger for producing. Live long and prosper. You've been listening to The Derivative. Links from this episode will be in the episode description of this channel. Follow us on Twitter at RCMAlt.com. And visit our website to read our blog or subscribe to our newsletter at rcmalts.com. If you liked our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe. And be sure to leave comments. We'd love to hear from you. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of RCM Alternatives, their affiliates, or companies featured. Due to industry regulations, participants on this podcast are instructed not to make specific trade recommendations nor reference past or potential profits, and listeners are reminded that managed futures, commodity trading, and other alternative investments are complex and carry a risk of substantial losses. As such, they are not suitable for all investors.